Well, good morning, and uh, thanks for joining us again this morning for our, uh, our preaching time. Uh, while you're finding Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19 is where we're going to be putting in this morning, and I, I wanted to remind us, since it's been uh, six or seven weeks since we have been in the book of Acts, I want to remind us that what we're looking at here is Paul's final third missionary journey, and this is kind of the conclusion of that, because Pretty much from here on, all that's going to happen in Paul's life is that he's going to travel back to Jerusalem. He's going to have some, um, some interesting things happen to him there. He's going to be going to trials. He's going to go under a voyage to Rome and all that. But in terms of launching a missionary journey, <clears throat> this is pretty much it. And we, we find him today. The Lord sent him to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was kind of a, uh, an interesting place in a lot of ways. It was a dark place. Um, on the west coast of uh, Asia Minor. And the, the, the reason that Ephesus was dark was because it had a claim to fame that was really peculiar in that um, Ephesus' big, big uh, uh, noteworthy thing was that according to legend, this uh, goddess by the name of Artemis had actually fallen from heaven and that was a big deal in their legend and, and in their, you know, who, who they were all about. And so they built a huge temple to her and a, and a giant statue that really occupied the center of the city's attention. Now, at the base of that statue, it is said, were what they call the Ephesian writings. Now, the Ephesian writings were, um, you know, magical books and tokens and, and formulas for conjuring up secret powers. And so because this was a part of their culture, because this was part of their power structure, um, you know, there was a lot of magicians and the secret arts and, and those kinds of things that were practiced in Ephesus. Now, and because of that, uh, because uh, magic and the secret arts and those kinds of things are uh, gateways for demonic activity, there was also a burgeoning business for exorcists and for, for people to undo, so to speak, what, the, what it was that this demonic activity was bringing on. So if we think about Ephesus as being this kind of dark place where there was these magic arts, these secret arts, and not to mention the perversion of Judaism that had actually come in and, and kind of taken on uh, this, this magic uh, in addition. Um, if we step back from that and, and, and do what we've been talking about in, in our study in these last few weeks on Wednesday night about ex exposition, and we take a God-centered view of what's going on in Ephesus, we have to ask this question. Why would God send Paul to Ephesus, to this dark place, to this demonic place? And I think it's the same reason that God brought you and I to Sun River, or to Three Rivers, or Lapine, or wherever you are that you're listening from. It's the same reason, because God has people in Sun River, just like he did in Ephesus, that he loves, and he wants to transform from God-hating idolaters to God-loving Jesus worshipers. That's the reason that Paul is going. That's the reason that he was there. That's the reason that we're here. And John Piper put that very succinctly when he said it this way, mission exists because worship doesn't. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you that you do send missionaries, those with uh, the gospel into dark places, into places where there is confusion and darkness and bondage and slavery to sin uh, and even God-hating. And you send in your love uh, missionaries and the gospel, Lord, that there might be transformation by that gospel to uh, people that love Jesus, that follow him and that worship him. And we give you thanks, Lord, that that is your heart. And we pray that we would see that today in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read together. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 19 and verse 8. And it's a long story. It's a peculiar story. Uh, one of the most uh, peculiar, I think, in the, in, the, in the New Testament. We'll pick up in verse 8. <clears throat> and he, that is Paul entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. 
But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Siva, a Jewish chief priest were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in who was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them all and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both the Jews and the Greeks who lived in Ephesus and fear fell upon them and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. We find if we just look at this from uh, back a little ways, what Bible students call an inclusio. In verse 10, it says that all of those in Asia heard the word of God. And then in verse 20, it says, and the word of God was prevailing and growing. It's kind of brackets that says, this is what this section is about. It's, it's, it's bookends to tell us that uh, that from which we can learn that all, everything about what's going on here is about the growing and the prevailing of the Word of God. And there, like I said, this is a really unusual story, but we don't want to get lost in the details of it, but, uh, but we do want to recognize that it answers two really important questions. The first one question that it answers, since it is about the Word of God, is what is it that causes the Word of God to prevail? How does it happen? What does it take? And the second question is when the word of God prevails, what difference does it make? And we see right at the outset in verse eight and 10 that Paul uh, first came for three months to the synagogue and he was preaching. But after three months, because of the opposition, there was uh, evil speaking, it says, they were hardened and they were speaking against the way that after three months he shut it down. And he went and rented a lecture hall of a man by the name of Tyrannus. Now, we really don't know anything about Tyrannus, but in that place, he preached for two years. He taught. The word is he dialogued. He kept speaking about Jesus. So the first thing that it takes is, is it takes persistent proclamation of the gospel. And then the second thing that we see is that God was performing in verse 11 and 12. God was performing. Paul was preaching and God was performing in such a way that even the articles of clothing that were carried uh, from Paul's body, um, swatches of clothing were carried and, and demons went out and, and, and people who were sick were getting better. And you realize that, that that's a superstition among the people uh, that, that articles of clothing from the practitioner of a particular kind of magic or whatever would have power to take, um, you know, to, to heal from disease or, or to, um, uh, to cast out demons. That's not an uncommon thing. That was part of the culture. That's what they understood. Uh, and we remember this, you know, even when Jesus was walking one time and, and there was a crowd around him and there was a woman with an issue of blood that had it in her mind, as tells us in Mark chapter 5, that if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. So what God was doing by actually casting out demons from these articles of clothing was, was speaking to that culture and to those people in a way that they understood. So God 
was working, God was doing while Paul was preaching. So let's drill down on that a little bit. And in verses 8 and 9, it says that Paul was preaching the gospel. Paul, when, when things went south at the synagogue, when there was, there was, there was too much opposition, he didn't feel like he was getting anywhere. Paul didn't give up on his message. He just changed venues. He went and, and rented a lecture hall and kept right on preaching. And I think that's because Paul understood. Well, we know he understood because he penned the words in Romans 1.16 that it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. He kept speaking the gospel. He understood that unless the gospel is heard, salvation is not possible. So he was persistent in preaching the gospel. And God was performing in verse 11. By his power, God was confirming the message in a way that speaks through the understanding of people. You know, sometimes it's in a visible, dramatic way that God, that God confirms that message, that God makes it real, that God makes it understandable, that God, un, that God communicates himself. Sometimes it's very dramatic, like, like a, a cloth being taken from a body, an evil spirit being cast out. But in other times, the way that God speaks is in the quietness of a heart. Just a few chapters back in Acts chapter 16 by a riverside, Paul was preaching. You remember Lydia, the lady from Thyatira, the seller of purple goods. And the Bible says that God just opened her heart to believe and respond. By his power, God confirms and applies the message of the gospel. Whether it's opening hearts, whether it's empowering handkerchiefs or giving the demon a, demon a green light to expose the powerlessness of hucksters. God's always doing that. Without that work of God, no one would be saved. Paul reminded the Thessalonians of this, about the gospel and about how God's power works alongside Paul reminded the Thessalonians in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, we shouldn't expect God to continue performing miracles uh, with handkerchiefs or, or much less demand it, that he do it in such a dramatic way. But we can expect that when we faithfully persistently proclaim the, God, the gospel of Christ, that God will provide the power to overcome the obstacles and confirm it in hearts. We speak the words, but it's God that has the megaphone. I'm always amazed at the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. Remember the story about the guy that, uh, you know, got swallowed by a fish, right? God sent him to Nineveh, this uh, great Assyrian city that were arch enemies of Israel. And, 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 and he said, I want you to go preach to those people, to this, to this great city. And Jonah didn't want to go, and you know all the rest. But it's interesting to me that the only message that Jonah had that we know of was this. He said, in 40 days, God's going to trash this place. That's my, trans that's my translation. That was his message. Now, that doesn't seem like much of a message, does it? It doesn't to me. But that was the message he was given. And ultimately, that was the message that he preached. So with that, we understand that it's not the power of our presentation, but the faithfulness of the gospel message. And it's God that causes them, that causes it to speak to the culture, to speak to hearts. And lots of times, we, we, like Paul, do it in, in weakness and in fear and sometimes adversity and suffering. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you to the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. That's how it works. They go hand in hand. The proclamation of the gospel and God's power confirming and applying that message. That's how the word of God 
prevails. It can't happen otherwise. Paul asks a, a rhetorical question to make the point in Romans 10. He says, how? How then will they call on him who they've not believed? And how will they believe in him who they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word about Christ. We have to talk a little bit about this priest and his sons. Likely Siva, who the Bible calls a high priest in verse 14, was really not a, a priest in the Jewish sense at all. It was probably a, a title that he conferred on himself or got conferred on him by the sect of Jews that had incorporated this magic uh, arts uh, in Ephesus with Judaism. And his sons, again, were likely not really literally sons, but disciples or pupils. Now, Jesus kind of made this clear when in Matthew chapter 12, they accused Jesus of uh, casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul or Satan. And he said, if I cast out uh, demons by the power of Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Meaning they're disciples. So we have this uh, Jewish priest, chief priest, kind of probably self-designated in his pupils. And they decide that they're going to traffic on this powerful, obviously powerful name of Jesus. And, and they, they say, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. So we know that the message and the power were already connected. The message and the confirmation, because they didn't say, uh, we adjure you by Paul, but we adjure you by Paul, Jesus whom Paul preaches. Well, the evil spirit came out all right and subdued all of them. These exorcists didn't know Jesus, and they had their own agenda. What they were looking for was success in their own business. It says that they were wandering or itinerant exorcists, just looking for a dollar, I guess. But Jesus can never be a proxy for another agenda. God won't allow co-opting the name of Jesus for any purpose other than his glory. The power of Jesus works in those who know Jesus for the purpose of making Jesus known. That's interesting that the demon came out and attacked these charlatans, but he did it by God's permission. Demons don't go wherever they will. They have a ruler in Satan, but they're always subject to God. And instead of overpowering the demon like they said they were going to, these imposters were themselves overpowered. Moreover, they were shamed by the fact that they were stripped naked. This whole setup was God's design to cause such a scene that everyone would know that compared to Jesus, they had no power or authority at all. And it must have made the papers because it says it became known to all the Jews and the Greeks. Matt Chandler says about this example of them fleeing naked and wounded. He says, you know, if you came to a, a fight and you were wearing pants, and when the fight was over, you weren't wearing pants, you lost. Alistair Begg refers to them as the seven streakers of Siva. Can you imagine weeks later, in the weeks following this event, you know, on a street corner in Ephesus, you hear, hey, did you hear about the disciples of Siva getting trashed by the demon? But evil spirits are being cast out, even by handkerchief, by that Paul guy. You know, the one down at the school at Tyrannus that just keeps talking about Jesus? That Jesus must be something. I'd like to hear more about that. You see, God was confirming and directing, along with the proclamation of Paul, the gospel in that community. And Paul, for this event, that God that, that garnered so much attention, he wasn't even there. So how does the word of God prevail? It prevails by persistent proclamation, by continually dialoguing, talking about the gospel, and by God's confirming power. And the second question 
when the word prevails, what difference does it make? What does it look like? Well, men begin to fear and respect and recognize the authority of God. Look in verse 17, it says, And fear fell upon them all, and the name of Jesus was being magnified. Formerly, in this, in this city, the, the magic arts, the secret spells, the incantations, the, uh, all of those things were the, were, the, were the seed of power. But now, because of this proclamation, because the word of God was prevailing, there was fear. You know, fear is sometimes soft-pedaled, I think, you know, in, in the Christian community. It's, it's kind of like, well, God is just a harmless, you know, lovey fuzzball. But remember, we need to remember that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The problem is men fear the wrong thing. But the fear of the Lord is more than just a healthy respect for who he is and what he can do. Fear also includes love and attraction to him for what he has done. There's forgiveness with the Lord. Psalm 130 puts it this way, If you, O Lord, should mark our transgressions, who could stand? There's the fear of what he can do. But the verse goes on, it says, But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. God forgives so that he may be feared. The fear of both what God can do and what he has done is a good thing. God gives us grace that we may fear. John Newton, the, 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 the one who wrote Amazing Grace, put his finger on this very thing in the second verse. It says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. I wonder sometimes about Christians who claim to accept the forgiveness of Christ but don't first tremble at the thought of their sins and coming before a holy God. So, what happens when the word of God prevails? Fear falls and Jesus is magnified. And believers are liberated and transformed. That's the final part of our section. They came, it says, and they were continually coming and confessing and disclosing to one another, confessing their sins to God and disclosing them to one another, bringing them out into the open. James says, confess your sins to one another and pray. You know, one of the, one of the ways that... Uh, God's dealing with this causes us to respond is that sin, what was dark, what was hidden, what was closed off is brought out into the light. Some man a long time ago put it this way that for sin, light is the greatest disinfectant. And publicly, they burned a very costly thing, all these books and so forth. When the word of God prevails, there's liberation from bondage and love for Christ and a hostility for sin. You know, Paul didn't complain about his rejection at the synagogue or his rights being abused he didn't call down thunder on his opponents. He just changed menus and kept right on preaching. He was persistent. Could the same thing be said about you and me? If most of us were as persistent in talking about the gospel as we are in complaining about the culture, what a difference that would make. You might think about it this way too. You know, our enemy really doesn't care, doesn't give a whit about what we talk about. 
as long as it's not about the gospel. I think there's a couple things that emerge from what we've seen today. Before we engage our culture to believe in our God, we must first believe ourselves. We must believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's our only message. We are his chosen messengers. You know, God could have taken the gospel and written it across the skies. He could have caused the rocks to cry out with the gospel, but he didn't. He chose us to be his messengers. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said. And on, being on mission with God is the greatest most glorious rescue mission in history. If we believe that, we'll persist in proclaiming the gospel. Rejection, dead ends, closed doors, suffering won't stop it. We must, if we are going to engage our culture to believe in God, we must first believe ourselves. And we must also believe that his word will not return without accomplishing what he sent it to. This story illustrates it. His power guarantees it. His power will accompany the gospel. God has his megaphone in his hand. If we believe that, we'll be confident of his working and that our labor isn't in vain. We know that God is at work. We may not see it or hear it, but those that he has chosen to respond will hear it loud and clear. I pray that you and me would have a running gospel dialogue with our culture. God is powerfully confirming the message just like in Ephesus, God is blowing up the objects of our trust that are powerless to save. But unlike Ephesus, our culture isn't hoping in magic so much, but in science and in wealth and government and the institutions of power. It's interesting, isn't it? that just in these past 11 weeks, these institutional giants have been shaken by a tiny virus. God is raising his megaphone to confirm the gospel message we proclaim. Let's praise him and give thanks. Father, we thank you for a gospel that saves. We thank you for inviting us to be co-laborers alongside you and transforming those who are held in bondage and darkness to becoming those who willingly, lovingly follow Jesus and worship him. Help us to trust in the power of the gospel and help us to trust, Lord, in your awesome power to confirm it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Welcome back. See how smooth that was? Yeah. <laughs> we do this a little bit better every week, I think. Thank you for that word, brother. Do you have questions for us? Is that how we're rolling this, or are we just talking? I think we just dialogue. I don't know. I'll probably think of some in a minute. <laughs> what, what struck you about that? <clears throat> you used the word huckster. I did. Which is not an everyday word. Like I like, I like that word. <laughs> it's a good word. Yeah, it's a very good word. Um, you know, something that, that has always jumped out at me with this passage is when, like, when it talks about, like, all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Like, that's, 
we kind of gloss past that sometimes, and, and, and you didn't gloss past it. Like that, that's a big deal. To, like, like, can we say that all of the residents of you know South County, Sun River, Three Rivers, Lapine, uh, have heard the word of the Lord? Like that's that's a big deal that that happened. Well, and the way it happened was that you know Paul went to the synagogue and preached for three months, and that was kind of a dead end, a closed door, and you know. Uh, so the way that that happened was through the, you know, through two years of teaching in the in the school of Tyrannus, which was really his second choice. It, this all came a, a result of a closed door. Yeah. And sometimes I think when doors close for us in the gospel, we just go, oh well, that's we not just working. Just move on. Yeah. Well, I think there's that element of wondering what God's doing. It's like, why isn't this working? Why 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 am I hitting a wall? You know, and you start to doubt, but it just means God has something else in mind and, a, and perhaps a better way to do it. And you see this in some of the closed countries that, you know, over the years in places like China where, you know, there was this great resistance, but it ended up spreading the gospel further and, yeah. and solidifying the church and doing, you know, but it doesn't feel good at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet that's where we have to just trust that God's purposes mm-hmm. and his plan will prevail. And it is prevailing mm-hmm. even now when it doesn't always make, you know, doesn't always seem clear. Yeah. And even what's happening in our church right now, there's a lot of people... <clears throat> almost seeing this as like the church is being defeated right now <laughs> and I don't see it that way at all I see the church being purified I see the church being um, challenged in, in a way that's it's bringing Christians to the surface in a way that's different mm-hmm. and maybe even weeding out some things that needed to be weeded out so I really love again how unorthodox God is in the way he does things like it's so funny that you can never predict so the, the gospel is always the foundation always the platform <clears throat> And yet, like, this revival basically comes through him using demons to beat a dude up and, you know, <laughs> right. to, to beat seven dudes up and send them running into the night screaming. Mm-hmm. And, like, that is, like, um, the spark that that causes this this surge of, of people, like, in fear, repenting over the power and reality of, of God. Um, like, you can't make that stuff up. No, like great. like we would say there's some things God can't do. One thing is he will never use demons or the side of Satan to accomplish anything. And it's like, well, here's a pretty good example. Like, you know. Yeah, it doesn't make God responsible for evil, and yet he'll use the evil that is there to oh, accomplish his right. purpose. And he does it in a pretty pretty uh, convincing way. It's wild. Which is neat. I think it's neat because I think a lot of people, uh, they, they give the demonic world a lot more power yep. and credit than it deserves. Uh, clearly, it is powerful. I mean, you see that a demon could... You know, just take these guys over, yep. overcome them in a, in a second. But and yet, it's all under the banner of God's power. Mm-hmm, yep. And God's power. When the story ended, nobody was talking about the demons' power. Mm-hmm, right. They were all talking about the power of God, yes. which completely trumped the demonic yes. powers. And, and we had, we can have that confidence. Well, even on a personal level, like there's so many Christians that, like you said, will will focus so much on say, will give him so much credit when their car breaks breaks down, yeah. when someone gets ill, when like anything bad that happens that's Satan like they're constantly being challenged by Satan but like I find it so interesting here where they speak and they're like we know Jesus Paul we recognize we don't even know who you are dude like we have no idea and I, and I think um, the difference being that wherever the gospel is and Terry brought this out really well um, that's where the fight is and so if you don't want to be bothered by Satan if you don't want to be known by his demons you know, don't be about the gospel because <laughs> he's not going to come. He's not going to come knocking on your door. You know, mm-hmm. so. Well, and how how often like do we do? At least here in the West, right in, in America, for example, like we, we avoid adversity like the plague. Um, we we don't walk into adversity. We go around it and, and we avoid it as much as we can. And and we see you know a guy like Paul, like he he just walks straight into the face of adversity. He didn't look at a hard situation or a difficulty and say, oh, if there's a closed door, I'm going to go somewhere. Like he, he faced the adversity. Um, one pastor that I read frequently talks about that like there, there are no places in the world that are closed to the gospel, only places where it's more difficult to preach for a second time. Yeah. Um, and, and like there can be consequences, right, when, when we proclaim the truth of the gospel because the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And, uh, you know, if, if we would have a mentality that says that just because something's hard doesn't necessarily mean that God isn't in it. And, and maybe our calling as Christians, not maybe, but our calling as Christians is at times to walk straight into the face of adversity. And, and we just we try to avoid that as much as we can. I like to be comfortable. Yeah. I don't like to do hard things. Mm-hmm. 
But we almost have bought into that lie that uh, if, if there's adversity, God's not in it. Right. Doesn't want us to even be a part of it. And the truth is, no, maybe that's where he's going to show up in power and do something amazing. And we should even begin to expect that. If adversity comes, right. the, the power of God's coming too. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. But the adversity is to be with the gospel. Right. And, I, yeah. and I know that you know that. Yeah. I just want to clarify that for our people. Yeah. So it's not just creating adversity and then going, oh, I'm persecuted. It's right. it's, yeah. it's for the sake of the gospel. Right. It's not for other things. I've, I remember I, I can think of several people, won't name names, but it's like they're always talking about how they're, you know, being persecuted and adversity is coming their way. And it, it, because of, you know, their, their affiliation with Christ. And a lot of times, no, it's because you're kind of, you know, you're kind of a jerk. <laughs> you kind of go out and, you know, a lot of this you're bringing on yourself. It has nothing to do with Christ. It has nothing to do with the gospel. A lot of times that, you know, is the way you're doing things that right. is the common denominator. So, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's, it's uh, easy to look at a story like this and say, well, God really showed up in the, uh, you know, with the handkerchief uh, miracle and with, uh, with uh, what happened with the, uh, the demons, with that thing kind of backfiring. But even when the door was closed at the synagogue and Paul was preaching uh, in Tyrannus for, for two years, that's the longest stand of preaching we know of that Paul had, right? And that the word became known, um, and 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 the way that God used that was so that all of the Jews and the Greeks understood it. Mm. I mean, and He did it in a way that they understood. He, God, God used the kind of turned the magic on its head, uh, where there was you know where there was supposed to be these exorcisms and things like this, and people were were trusting in this false power. God actually did it. But he spoke to them in a way and confirmed the gospel in a way that made sense to them. And let's not forget that, like Paul did this while having a day job. Yeah, <laughs> like he wasn't, you know, the full-time professional pastor. That's what I was going right. to say. Is where did the handkerchiefs and the aprons come from? Mm-hmm. Did he just walk around with aprons and, <laughs> and they're they're just they're just snatching them and running? You know what I mean? Like, no, the dude had a day job where he wore aprons you know, to build what he was building and used handkerchiefs to wipe the sweat off his face. It, like it's yeah. pretty, pretty practical. Right. And he, and he wasn't buying away, walking around and handing them out. <laughs> right. I mean, Selling them on the street. And that's, that's a different thing that uh, when people take uh, something like this and, and try to make the, try to make the event, the miracle, but miracles don't save anybody. They just don't. Uh, a miracle that God confirms in confirming the gospel. The gospel message will save, but the miracle in itself doesn't. And I was uh, thinking as I was writing this uh, this last week about a, a ministry that I know of that I don't know if they're still called this, but it used to be called when they would gather. It was called expect a miracle. Mm. Just expect a miracle, kind of like the miracle's the thing, really, but it's not. Salvation is the miracle, right? Every time. Every time, whether it's whether it is um, you know God doing something like this uh, to to uh, you know to project this across an entire city and region, or if it's God just speaking into the heart of a woman by a riverside, He's still confirming the gospel. Well, and that that really is the greater miracle. I think that we just we discount it, but when when somebody goes from sinner to saint from death to life from blind to you know sight yep. that's spiritually speaking it has eternal consequences that is the greater miracle and, and that's what the gospel offers and yet we look for the more sensational mm-hmm. you know right. whatever and even even what these guys looked at they saw it as a means to gain and i see a lot of that in christianity today where the people sure i'll, I'll grab hold of the name of jesus and i'll grab hold of the idea of christianity because it's a means to an end right something else that they want and, and, and we have to be really careful about that. Any ministry, anybody out there right now that's, you know, really isn't about the gospel and about who Jesus is and what he's done, you know, just like they said, we don't, we don't know, you know, I have nothing to do with you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of that out there right now. Yep. I think the, the people in this pastors like, they, they got more than just kind of their get out of hell free card. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to your point, that sometimes that, that's kind of our view of, of salvation is that, you know, this is my, my get out of hell free card but you see these people that they were they were bringing their magic books of, of great value and giving them up they were uh confessing this isn't divulging what is it confessing and divulging their practices and, and so there was you know this this was more than just their get out of hell free card that like you know what god did was changing people mm-hmm. i'd love to see the, the purifying of the church in this passage you know people began they saw the power of god they saw you know um what was going on and it, and it caused 
purity to happen. It caused people to confess sins. It caused people to get you know their stuff together and get rid of some things in their lives they needed to. And and it's always neat to see that you know when you see the power of the gospel affect a person's life in a way that just transforms and mm-hmm. transforms society yeah. and and you see it really clearly in this. So. Yeah. So you know, um, just taking the other side of the screen here for a minute. People are looking at this and they're going, okay, so Paul was preaching the gospel, you know, in the synagogue and the school of Tyrannus and all of that, and and um, and he, he persisted in that. But he was obviously a really gifted speaker. He was an apostle, and, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm no Paul. So um, what do you say to that? First of all, was he a great speaker? I mean, sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if you look at Corinthians chapter three, like maybe that's there a were, good point. There were some other guys that were more the weakness and fear and trembling, yeah, gifted. But like, I, I think you mentioned this today in your sermon that that the power is God's, and you brought that out clearly. Um, so we're we're there to um, expose and to be faithful to present that which God's given us to to present. Um, but if anything's ever going to happen, I don't care how good of a speaker you are, if God ain't there, then who yeah. cares? You know? Right. And isn't this point of the point of the story that when we do proclaim the gospel, God is there? Yeah. I mean, He will. Uh, I mean, you, sometimes you don't see it. Right. You don't see Him. You don't see these big dramatic <clears throat> events. But for uh, for the purposes and for the for the ones that God has has chosen to hear, He is confirming that message. Yeah. It's it doesn't it doesn't His word doesn't just go out and fall to the ground that the proclamation of the gospel as it pleases God for his purposes will always be confirmed in the hearts of yeah. people. He's about his gospel. Yeah, so kind of like what you were what you were saying, if there's a, a church or uh, a ministry or a group out there that's not about the gospel, you know, that's there's no reason to think that, that God is about that because yeah. he is about his gospel. He does honor his gospel um, being proclaimed, whether it's, beautiful and loud or whether it's quiet and humble yeah when I think of like what what do we want to be known for as a church and a community and and within our people it it always comes back to that we want to magnify the person and work of Christ that we want to we want to love God we want to love people Uh, when it comes to miracles and things like that I think miracles are cool I you know I I like it when I see something miraculous happen but ultimately uh, you know we don't want to be like that sideshow that people come to see miracles we want we want people to come here and meet Jesus the real Jesus exalted and lifted high his work magnified and, and that's the best thing we have to offer anybody you know that's what that's that's what will save somebody um, and miracles are cool and you know if God shows up and does something cool in our midst great I like it but ultimately the, the greatest prize is who Jesus is and what he's done for us so and only God can affect salvation um, you know, we, we can't affect salvation. We can't speak things in such a way that, that makes it make enough sense to where it's going to affect salvation. Like that's that's a work of God that, that only God can do. Um, and to, which one of you guys said earlier, like there, there's no greater miracle than, than this, the salvation of a sinner. Um, and that's not it's not based on our ability. It's based on God and who He is. Mm-hmm. Any questions or comments that uh, want to come in? If not, we'll probably get wrapping up before long. But um, I don't know what's come in on that. I know a couple of prayer requests kind of came in late when we were transferring over, but <clears throat> yeah. So a couple of prayer requests that came in as we were transferring, um, just prayer for continued prayer for the guys at Shepherd's House, um, and then uh, Darla asked for prayer. Uh, John Darla's son Josh has a, a friend uh, whose sister passed away, mm-hmm. and so Josh is asking for prayer for his friend's family. It sounds like. So Father, we just uh, pray for those things. Um, uh, we're thankful for the ministry uh, of Shepherd's House and that you uh, continue to uh, provide for their needs so that they can continue to have an impact in the community um, for the gospel. And so we would just pray that you would uh, continue to do those things, uh, continue to provide for them so that they can continue uh, to proclaim the message and that they continue to love people who are in uh, hard and difficult circumstances. And um, we would just pray that uh, as a result of what they do, that many would come to know you. And we pray for Josh's friend. What a, what a hard thing to lose uh, a family member. We don't know the, the exact circumstances around it, but uh, just pray that you would bring comfort and peace to the family. We don't know uh, if they know you or not, but uh, in the midst of a difficult thing, we do pray that uh, those that don't know you that are connected to this would come to know you through tragedy uh, and that they would uh, learn to hope in you and trust in you. And we ask those uh, things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
So uh, Janet had asked for prayer for uh, Todd and Pam and the grandkids as they drive to Canada uh, and their new ranch. And Pat Popplewell said she has a praise report. Uh, she'll be calling the dock next week and moving for uh, plans for a knee replacement in the near future. So that's starting to happen. And then uh, it's funny how she, oh, go ahead. that's a praise instead of a prayer request for her. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. She's pretty good. That's good. And then uh, Jacques uh, is asking for prayer for his neighbor Rocky. Uh, kind of uh, painful to watch his pain and losing his wife to lung illness and now suffering from PTSD from the Vietnam War. This could be our, our buddy Rocky from CBC is my guess. Mm. Um, and he said, I suspect yeah. it's tough to be alone. His son is there today, keeping him company. Maybe pray that uh, he we would all know how to have fellowship with him. He is a believer and goes to CBC. So I didn't know that was your neighbor. Uh, we know Rocky well and, and we know what he's going through. And so just lift up those things now. Father, we, we thank you for uh, Janet and, and her prayers for her kids. Lord, we know how much she loves them and is concerned about them. And so we do pray that they'd have safe travel and that their trip to Canada would go well and that this new adventure would also go well and that you would just watch over and protect them and uh, and give Jan Janet comfort knowing that um, uh, putting them in your hands is the greatest thing she can do. And so uh, help her to trust you with this. Uh, we do thank you, Father, for Pat and for her uh, for just her great attitude. And, and we were uh, excited to hear about this idea of the, new, the knee replacement coming soon. We pray that that appointment would get scheduled, that the surgery would go well, and that she'd be um, uh, able to get around much better than she has been in the past. And just again, thank you for uh, this being a praise for her. Mm -hmm. And Lord, we, we do, uh, as Jock has mentioned, Rocky right now, we, we pray that uh, Rocky's doing okay. Um, that mm -hmm. we might find a way to surround him and love him too. And his church family over at CBC would do the same as he's going through a difficult time. Um, just remind him of your goodness and your love and your faithfulness and, and help through this hard time uh, missing his wife so much, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're all caught up on the chat. All right. No any, questions any, or any comments? final words? No, those were just catch-up ones that cool. had come in. So Okay. Very good. Final thoughts or final... Uh, Pearls of wisdom. <laughs> I was just thinking that uh, um, as as Christians, as believers, as those with uh, with the gospel, we're always trying to expecting, hoping to see stimulate faith um, to those around us that um, that don't know the Lord. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that it really needs to begin with our faith in believing what God has said, that the way to do that is by, is by keeping on talking about the gospel. And that, uh, um, that, our, that our faith is shown in obedience to that and to continuing to do that, whether it's easy or hard or adversity or any of those other things. but. Um, but to, uh, I guess, kind of wear ourselves, the, the re responsibility, the opportunity, the, the blessing of being able to share the gospel uh, to people that are lost around us. Yeah, don't, and just, yeah. I, I would say don't underestimate the power of the gospel. We, we, we look to almost everything else to change society and to fix things around us. And the power of the gospel is what God said. Don't be ashamed of this, because this is the power to save. This is what will actually transform an individual and a culture mm -hmm. and a community. It's that alone. I don't know of anything else. I can't think of anything else that would have changed me. <coughs> Only the gospel changed me. And, and well, that's, it's, that's the power that we have to, you know. He says it is the power of God unto salvation, not yeah. a power right. of God. Yeah. yeah. So pray for more opportunities for that. You know, and don't even that. underestimate that a rejection initially equals um, God not working through that um, because he like some things haunt people like r really when we're, we're, we're farmers like we've talked about before we're throwing seed mm -hmm. you don't know when it's going to sprout you don't want to know what's going to poke through the surface um, like we don't we don't know when that seed's going to bust open and and stuff's going to come out of it but like like the victory is is getting that seed out onto soil regardless of what the immediate response is so um, don't yeah don't go by that. That, that actually happened. Didn't we have a uh, something on Wednesday? That uh, actually, I can't remember who it was, but somebody had had a person that they had been praying for for a long yeah. time and talking to, mm -hmm. and My nephew. it was just rejection. Yeah, that's what it was. Maybe you could. Yeah expound on that yeah it happens I, yeah wednesday night on the way here my nephew called me um, jacob from Coeur d'Alene, and and told me uh, he was so excited to let me know mm -hmm. about a friend of his that had, had come to christ finally after all these years they grew up that they were little kids and played in a cul-de-sac together 
and, and they, they've just been friends for years, but this guy's always rejected Christ. And he called Jacob the other night and said, I want you to come and pray for me. And he was just like, what? So he, he did. And, and, uh, and Cole received the Lord, you know, so you just don't know how that works and mm -hmm. when it's going to come about. But uh, this is a time when people are searching for answers yep. and are fearful and, and need hope. And, and we have no greater hope than to tell them about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And, it, and then hope that they place their faith in that for salvation. So, right. yeah, the success is in getting the gospel yeah. out. Be, be like, grateful for this opportunity. Like we see, we see these things and we always go, why can't I be like Paul or why can't I be like, you know, this or that? But like, I don't know how many times that we don't see and some of them we even do where Paul went through periods of, re of rejection and laboring under the gospel, knowing the power of the gospel um, and not seeing that immediate return on that investment, but not, not ceasing to to push forward and do it, knowing that that's the success yeah. is in sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. So he was persistent. In it. He was he persistent. Just kept on with it. And the yep. gospel yep. persisted. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, so be encouraged by that. It's scary for all of us, but be encouraged in, in the gospel going out. We're should there. We, should we pray? Let's do it. Yeah. Father, we're thankful that uh, you captured us. Um, through the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, that, that Lord, you saved our souls because we trusted in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that because of uh, the fact that we've turned from, from the other things and turned to Christ in faith, and um, you've brought us to life, Lord. And so this message is something that gives uh, us hope still today, and we know that's the hope for, for everything right now that's going on. And so give us opportunities. Uh, to share this message, to believe in the power of this message, mm -hmm. Lord, to see the way it even impacted this, this story that we, re this account we read today, to see that fear fell upon everybody and, and, and they turned in faith to you. We would love to see that in our community, in our land right now. So um, use even the adversity that's going on right now to draw people to yourself and give us the opportunity to present hope to those around us um, through Jesus Christ, what he's done. And may he be lifted high in our, in our church and in our community. And uh, Lord, may your people be filled with hope right now, uh, knowing that the gospel is the answer. And so we look to you, Lord, and we thank you, and, and we're excited for what you have for us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hopefully we see you Wednesday night. Wednesday night, yep. 630. Yep. If you have any questions, get a hold of us. God bless you guys.